Hello, you lovely lot. I wanted to take a moment to share an exciting announcement with you all. I will be doing a live show for Happy Mum, Happy Baby at the podcast show in London on the 22nd of May. This will be a live episode of this very podcast featuring me and a very special soon-to-be-announced guest. Get ready for a candid conversation, unfiltered truths, laughs, invaluable non-judgmental advice and lived experiences. Dive into the complexities of parenting while juggling work, relationships and personal growth and we'll be talking beyond the baby years. As well as the live episode, the show will also include a Q&A with both me and my guest. Tickets go on sale this Friday the 26th of April at 10am, but anyone who is part of the Happy Mum, Happy Baby newsletter will be getting early access to tickets on Wednesday the 24th of April at 10am. To sign up to the newsletter and for more information about the event, please head to happymumhappybaby.com forward slash events. I can't wait to see you there. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theatres, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to a brand new episode of Happy Mum, Happy Baby, the podcast. Today's guest is a personal trainer, a fitness guru, I would say, and she's also a nutritionalist, which I've really practiced saying that word because it's very hard to say. It's Chloe Maidley. Hello. <laughs> Hi. I really hate to burst your bubble. What? It's nutritionist, not nutritionalist. <laughs> oh my, that's why it's so hard because I've put another blooming thing in your bob in it. Nutritionist, not nutritionalist. Well, that, you know what? That, that makes you. my life a lot better, actually. This is why everyone loves you so much. That was brilliant. <laughs> that was brilliant. <laughs> and then, well, this will be the clip that's played out the night before this airs as well. So this is how it's going to be introduced. It's going to, it's how it's going to be started. <laughs> and a really hard word to say. Says completely non-existent <laughs> word. <laughs> it's like, well done. That's amazing. <laughs> You can tell I don't have one. All right, I don't have a nutritionist because I've obviously been looking for a nutritionalist. Yeah, nobody needs one, to be honest. It's all very commonsensical, common knowledge. Dietitians, on the other hand, they're real diet doctors and I am not one of those. (laughs) But also, I didn't say, you are now a mother of a one-year-old. Yeah, my little baby girl. She's 13 months old and she is the absolute joy of my life she's just joyful and saying to James last night like I really want to have another baby because I really want to have this experience again but I don't know I have this weird thing of like I don't know that I can split my love or find more love it feels very strange I wanted to talk to you about this because you've got do you have three well I've got three all boys three yeah so I wanted to ask you about that I can remember when Buzz was, he must have been about 11 months old. We were getting in the lift in a hotel. Someone got into the lift with us and she just turned around and she said to me, you know, you think you can't love another child in the same way, but actually when you have another, your heart just grows. So yeah. it's not like it's been split. It's just that there's even more love there. Which uh, Well, that just makes me want to do it again because I'm one of those people that like, 
this sounds kind of awful, but I need to love someone or something. I'm that really annoying girl that always had a boyfriend and was never just like casually dating or like in a really like not serious relationship. Like I was, I was in. in it. I was in. <laughs> I was in love. We'd been together for years. Like my first relationship, I was 16 to 21. Like, and it was like that my whole life till I met James. So then when I had my daughter, I was like, finally, I just have this funnel of like love. But then everyone's like, yeah, but wait till she's a teenager. And then they break your heart every day. And I'm like, don't say that. But all I keep hearing about all these phases that they go through is that, but then they come back. Yeah. They'll always yeah. come back. And I think, you know, if you know, if you look at you and your parents, you always come back. Doesn't matter what happens throughout the years, you always go back. So that's yeah. what I'm sort yeah. of clinging on to. Yeah. You know, because... Yeah. Apparently, I'm going to lose the boys very soon and they're going to come back at some stage, so... Yeah, but you know what? I would say that's completely true. My family now, I'm the youngest at 36. There's four of us kids and then my mum and dad. We are so much close. We're more close now than we've ever been, all of us, yeah. in our whole our whole lives, including our childhood. Um, obviously, we were more dependent on our parents then, but in terms of like love and bond and closeness, it's peaking now and hopefully will continue to, so I completely back that. Oh, and also, you've had an amazing experience, which is something that I had last year, where you've been filming a TV show with your family. And I think, from my experience, because we went back to Italy to go to where my dad grew up, me and my siblings, with my dad. And that just meant that because you're filming together, you're with each other every day in a yeah. way that you're not normally together. And it yeah. feels like a right, almost indulgence, because you're a bit like, when would we ever get this chance to... <laughs> be together like this no it's really interesting I was really pleasantly surprised when I told my mum and dad about the show and my brother as well because he's a very brilliant agent at a very brilliant agency in London and we were all sat having lunch and I said listen and I told them that the production company and ITV wanted to do the show with me and I was expecting all of them to be like oh don't do that oh that's <laughs> gonna be awful I absolutely turned that down and they were like oh my God, you've got to do it. You're going to have like a whole photo album on camera of Bodhi's first year of her life. Yeah. And you're going to reach so many more women. And what I do is very basically a female kind of health and fitness, strength and fitness, physique and health coach. And I already have a huge and amazing client roster base. They're like, you'll reach so many more women and you'd be an idiot not to. And you should absolutely do it. So Obviously, as soon as they said that, I was like, okay, well, I completely value their opinion above all else. And I'm so shocked by it that I said yes. And it was actually really nice because Jane has spent the whole summer traveling to Ibiza, Monaco, Dubai, Miami, New York, like everywhere DJing. So it's actually been really nice to kind of have a real reason to kind of force him to come spend some time with me as well in the week. Like, well, you got to come back. You've got to film. He's like, yeah, all right, fine. Because it's really hard, like, flying back and forth to different countries yeah. all week, every week. So it's kind of forced him to come back. And because you're on camera, yes, it absolutely is. What you see is what you get. But sometimes they have to think of fun things for you guys to do. So we had a few very fun experiences together as a family that I don't think we would have had had we not been filming the show. So that was yeah. really fun. I love that. When is it out and what's it called? So October the 9th, it's called Chloe Madeley, A Family Affair. And then it comes out every Monday thereafter. I don't know the time yet. I have no idea. Have you finished filming now? Yes and no. We still have to do pickups. So there's loads of likes for the master interviews because you never know what's going to make it into the edit no. and what's not. And we film like five, six days a week and it was full on. Like it's exhausting. I've never had so much respect for reality TV people in my life. <laughs> well, I'm looking forward to seeing your bare face on camera. All right. Thanks, babe. You got it right now. <laughs> Here she is. <laughs> right. Tell me about your childhood. Where did you grow up? What was it like? So I was born and raised in Manchester, which I'm so proud of. I'm a mank till I die. My parents are Richard Madeley and Judy Finnegan, which I think the younger generations probably have no idea who those people are. The older generations probably do. It's bizarre to me that they're a whole generation <laughs> that like, don't know that. I know. You know I mean? They're like... They are icons. One of my clients, one of my young clients, she must be 21, said to me the other day, like, oh, I didn't know Richard Madeley was your dad. And I was like, I'm so happy. That is the best sentence I've ever heard. They basically started this morning, for those that don't know. And I think because they were married and I was a newborn when they started it. And Jack was, how old was he? Oh, 14 months. And then my mum had two kids from her previous marriage, Tom and Dan, who were 10 at the time or 11. And I think because it was this like real family vibe, real family show, it was the first ever magazine show on UK television. It 
flew and they became household names. And by the time I was eight or nine, Granada and ITV mutually decided that the show had to move to London because they just couldn't get guests down to Liverpool. It was filmed on the Albert Dock in Liverpool. You know, Tom Cruise would fly into London, do press in London all day. Be like, do you want to go to Liverpool at five o'clock in the morning? And he'd be like, <laughs> absolutely not. And he'd fly back to LA. So they moved the whole show to London. I obviously moved too. And I've been living in northwest London ever since. And yeah. Can you remember what it was like to move at that age? Yeah, it was pretty bad. I mean, so my mum, you know, you talk about it from like my parents' perspective. My dad was fine. My dad's really adaptable. He's like a happy puppy. He just honestly is like... Mr. Positive, like really matter of fact, always sees the good and everything. So he was fine and he's from Essex, so it wasn't a problem for him coming back south. My mum is like a through and through solid northerner. And I think she really struggled so much so I even think she had quite a bad spell with her mental health when we moved. And I think she felt intensely, overwhelmingly guilty for years about leaving. And there, there was. I mean, I, I I won't say who. There was a certain northern celebrity who gave her a really hard time of it, which I thought was really cruel. It really stung. It really hurt her. My brothers were absolutely livid. I mean, really, really upset. The older ones specifically. They would have been late teens by that point, right? Or even yeah. early, yeah, early yeah, 20s. So their lives were set yeah they're at uni yeah. so it was weird because then their base is now London but they were yeah. still at uni in Manchester they wanted to stay very much in Manchester one of them ended up staying in Manchester and so yeah it was really hard on the family I was kind of like oh this is an adventure let's see what happens I was really quite young you know nine yeah. still quite young especially me I was a young child I was very much like I don't know my mum and dad were like my world until I was yeah. I would say 13 you know, when he started to get more of a quote-unquote social life. And then I came to London and everyone took the mickey out of me because I had a northern accent <laughs> and I made no friends and then I was, like, livid. But then I took up football and then I was really good at it and then everyone liked me. So sports, guys, it makes you <laughs> friends. So I, I feel like sports and music, they're the two things that you can really gel with people over. You know, I think yeah. in your family, if you're yeah. playing sport or if you play music as well, it's a great, yeah. it's a great thing. 100%. 100%. Your mum and dad have been on this podcast and they were... <laughs> Delight, honestly, I had the best time with them. They were amazing. You've got a lot to live up to. Yeah. Um, but one thing that your mum said actually was that you can only ever be as happy as your unhappiest child. And it's so true. Like, as my kids get older, I see that even more so because the problems, yeah. you just want to be able to fix them all the time. And actually, I imagine that even when you kids were younger, like that idea of having to move, the idea of people coming over and maybe encroaching on your family time because of what they chose to do as profession, but it's a hard mix of emotions to be feeling. Yeah, I think mum always had a lot of guilt. Mum's a guilty person. You know, she's an anxious person. She's a worry bag, as she calls it. <laughs> and I think when she got her first divorce from my brother's father, I think she's always, still to this day, struggled with guilt. Yeah. I think when we moved, she really struggled with guilt. And I think there were times when I really messed up growing up. And because they were in the public eye, that was very public. Mm. And my mum was riddled with guilt. When I messed up, when I made mistakes, she'd call me crying, saying sorry to me, because I don't know, it's on the front page of the Daily Mail or whatever. But that's because you are, you know, a young adult, you're growing up, yeah. you're learning, and other young adults will be able to go out and make those mistakes, not really go beyond their friendship group. That's it. Yeah, exactly. She's just the kindest soul. Her children are everything. My brother and I recently contributed to a Channel 5 documentary on their life they said how do you think your parents want to be remembered like and me and my brother like dad wants to be remembered as a journalist because he is and I think a lot of people take the mick out of my dad but they don't realize that how informed he is how much of a journalist by yeah. trade he is he's one of the youngest uh, newspaper editors like of a, of a local paper if not the uh, in history in the UK my mom probably not remembered by many but probably remembered by her family as yeah. mum because that's her and it's, yeah, it's really interesting. At a younger age, did you ever look ahead to the future and see yourself with your own family? Because family's obviously mm. such a massive part of your life anyway. No, I was kind of internally focused on my family, my mum, my dad, my brother yeah. and I. For ages, I was never that like 15 year old, 16 year old, like, oh my God, I can't wait to get married and have a family. Like that wasn't me. And then I wanted to travel. I just wanted to travel, 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 travel. And I did a lot. 
And I didn't think I wanted kids when I found what I do now. I became very good at my job. Obviously, I've been doing it for 12 years now. I have a lot of qualifications and I have a lot of experience and I love it. You've got a real passion. I think as an outsider watching you, you know, I feel like it definitely feels like you found your place. You found the thing that gives you the drive. You're so passionate about it. And it's incredible to watch, you know, your podcast and everything that you do about it. It's incredible. Thank you. Yeah, I love it. It's definitely my thing. And I started doing really well with it in loads of different areas yeah books podcasts the online coaching the face and I was like I don't care like I had James James and I love to travel then he retired from rugby and we became like party people and I was like I just don't think I want kids and then I thought I couldn't have kids and that changed everything and I'm so happy that it did because you know you hear a lot of women be like I kind of regret having kids, you know, and they say it very quietly. It's not public, obviously. But, you know, if you know enough mums, you've heard one or two people say, I kind of regret doing it, to be honest. I didn't think it would be like how it is. And I don't know, and I don't want to be too presumptuous, but potentially that's people who are like, who think that having kids is going to be the best thing they've ever done. And then when it happens, they're like, oh, it's great, but it's not the best thing I've ever done, Mm. which is fair enough for me. I spent a lot of my third trimester worrying that I'd made the wrong decision because I loved my life. Like, I loved my life pre-Bodhi. And oh my gosh, from the second they showed her to me to this very day, I am like, hands down, without a doubt, best thing in my life, best thing that's happened to me, would do it. The second she was born, I thought, I want to do this every day. I want to do it every day. (laughs) I was just like, this is the best thing in the world. And I don't know why, but I very surprisingly just took to it like a duck to water. Even my mum was like... I'm shocked, like how I just went and fell into the role of mum and I love it. So what created that shift in the first place? Like what made you think that you couldn't have kids and how did that kind of make you sort of change your mind on it? So James and I got married when I was 31 and at 31 I'd been on the pill since I was 16 and my gynecologist was like, you really need to come off the pill now come off the pill, come back in in a week or whatever, and we'll talk about um, with contraception. So I was like, okay, fine. We were married. I didn't want kids. We definitely weren't trying to have to get pregnant. We definitely hadn't had any conversations about it. But I was just like, eh, <laughs> if I get pregnant, I'll deal with it then. So had you two never spoken about kids at all? It was just a conversation where you were like... No, you know you can't get away with that when you're in the public eye. You can't do one interview where they're like, what about kids? What about kids? When are you going to get yeah. married? And it's yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We talked about it a lot and we'd always just said like, eh, Probably not, maybe. Yeah. Eh, but also, because my parents read the papers and stuff, you don't want to say no, like, no, we don't want kids, because you know your parents are going to read it and call you and be like crying. Like, what the hell are you talking about? Anyway, so then came off the pill and eh, if I get pregnant, I'll just deal with it then. Like, I'll figure it out, yeah. right? We must have been married for two years, 2020. And I just kind of like woke up in the middle of the night, like, <gasps> I haven't had one pregnancy scare. I haven't, like, what is going on? So once lockdown allowed, went to the gynecologist and he kind of laughed at me in a way. And he was like, you know, at this point I was 33. And he said, you're not just going to get pregnant. Like you have to try, you know, through ovulation period and, you know, all the phases of the menstrual cycle. And, And then, so we carried on trying, yeah, for like a good six months, still nothing was happening. Mm. And then, no, so, sorry, so I missed a big bit there. So then I, I basically went home to my husband and I was like, we need to decide, like, do we having kids or not? And like, at this point, as soon as the choice was taken away from me, I was oh, like, yeah. I want to do it. Like, I really want to do it now. And James was like, eh, all right. There we go. all right, fine. He's happy we did it now. He's like obsessed with Bodhi. But then he was like, all right, if you want to. So off we went. Nothing happened. Continually panicked. Had all my fertility tests done at that point. And I was, he was like, your textbook fertile. Your hormones, your reproductive system, your fertile. He was like, every day, but the, on days you're bleeding, go have sex. And we did. And two months later, I got pregnant. And now I have a little nutcase running around my house, which <laughs> is just brilliant. It's like having, you know, that feeling you get when you see a Christmas tree. You put the Christmas tree up and you walk into the room like late at night after a long day at work and you see the tree and you're like, ah. And every day I just have this little kind of mini Christmas tree running around screaming and I just see her and I'm just like, ah. <laughs> absolutely love that I love that and, and actually I've heard that advice actually you know the whole just have lots of sex thing. just do it yeah, yeah. Uh, Claudia Winkleman said it to me when it, you know when you go and do a, a radio interview and when while they're playing the songs they kind of you have a little gossip that was Claudia's yeah. big advice just have lots of sex and it will happen it's true and it's not the most fun thing in the world like you know there are days where I just wanted to kill James 
because he is not the easiest husband you can find. And I would be like, I'm going to kill... We start to have sex. Just have to, like... <laughs> can we just find... park it for a second? Yeah. Just for yeah. a few find... seconds. <laughs> find a mental pathway around it. Fetishize arguing. I don't know. Figure it out. <laughs> can you remember finding out you were pregnant? Did you have any symptoms or anything like that? Mm, yeah, I think I kind of knew... So James is in Dubai DJing. He'd already been there for like a week. He was staying out there for another week. For that week that he'd been gone, the full week, I had had really sore breasts. They mm. felt really full and really tender. So I was like, oh, my period's coming. And then I suddenly realised, it just dawned on me one morning, like, hang on, I felt like this the day before James flew to Dubai. And he's been in Dubai for a full week. Like, oh my God, where's my period? And then I was like, eh, maybe I'm pregnant. So I took a pregnancy test out of my toiletry bag, but I was on my way to the gym. I had yeah. to get to the gym. I was like, I'll have to go to the gym right now. Got in the car, went to the gym, which is 10 minutes down my road, got out, always do a wee before a workout, top tip. <laughs> went to the loo, was like, oh, I'll do the pregnancy test. Did it, put it back in my bag, went upstairs on the gym floor, started my workout, looked at the test and it said I was pregnant. And I was like, obviously, I find out I'm pregnant in the gym. Like, how <laughs> cliche is like a child's life going to be? She already has a dumbbell rattle. I mean, we're just, <laughs> just growing her up for life. And then I was like, oh, I'm pregnant. And then I was like, should I leave the gym? <laughs> I was like, or should I carry on training? And I was like, I'll carry on training. So I carried on and I had like a little smile on my face the whole time. And I was like, this is fun. Oh, how am I going to tell everyone? And then came home and waited a few hours and then called James and told him. He ruined it completely. You know, I, and this is what I do as well. Like I romanticise things in my head and then yeah. they don't come to pass how I imagine them to be and, and then I'm really angry. But he was like, I can't believe you told me while I'm in Dubai. And I was like, I can't sit on this for a week and not tell you. Like, I have to tell you. In case you can't tell, I say too much. <laughs> so, like, so then that happened. And then telling my parents is better. Telling my parents is really good. And my mum and dad, they always sit in front of the TV and they watch the news every night and they eat dinner. I bought a bottle of champagne and I walked in and I put it on the table. And my mum didn't even look up. Like, she hadn't even, like, noticed that I was there. And my dad looked at the champagne and he looked at me. And he looked at the champagne and I went, I'm pregnant. And he was like, oh my God. And he got up and he gave me a massive hug. And then I just heard my mum behind me on the sofa going, excuse me, can I have a hug? <laughs> and I gave her a hug. And yeah, it was really magical. It was really wonderful. Oh, how was your pregnancy? Like overall, it was the most body confident I've been. I work in Which body Which is incredible as well. When you think about what you do, like you, you empower your body so often you know I've seen you talking about even exercise and stuff I think there's been a massive shift over the last decade anyway of people not exercising to punish their body but exercising because they love exercising I think there has been a massive shift anyway but yeah, it's interesting yeah. that pregnancy is a thing that made you feel you know that power I think when you work in health and fitness as a woman women often project onto you their own insecurities with their bodies I mean, it happens all the time. It's why as a coach, you can't be a hard-ass coach, like, for example, James Smith is, because mm -hmm. women will be like, oh, I hate her. Like, what a bitch. Do you know what I mean? But you have to be soft and cuddly, whereas male coaches who are like that have huge success. I think doing what I've done, again, for 12 years, it's because of this. I work in the body because I'm fascinated in the science of the body. So obviously getting pregnant... It was amazing for me. Mm -hmm. I was like... And journalists would say it to me all the time. They'd be like are you going to really struggle when you get pregnant? And I'd be like, no, <laughs> like I work in science. Like I yeah. love it. I threw myself into it. I enjoyed it a lot. I had very bad morning sickness, but it stopped in week 14. So I wouldn't go as far as to say it was hyperemesis and I certainly wasn't hospitalized, but it was debilitating. I couldn't get up at all. <laughs> it was a period of like eight weeks where I just lay on the sofa every day. <sighs> it was pretty bad. And then my second trimester, as everyone knows, you know, if you don't have hyperemesis or anything or high-risk pregnancy, was the honeymoon period. Mm -hmm. Loved it. Was like wearing my crop top and my baggy cargo pants like Melanie Black from also <laughs> loving life walking around Soho farmhouse like yeah I'm fucking pregnant like loved it <laughs> and then my third trimester came and I got um really bad iron deficiency anemia and I just started fainting and I it's given me a little bit of I guess trauma in that I now have claustrophobia so it, it first happened on a plane I couldn't wow. breathe and we took off and I was heavily pregnant in an air I was, I was like 34 weeks 32 weeks. Oh, anyway, somewhere in that region. I was heavily pregnant in an aeroplane 
and we were in the air and James was asleep and I couldn't breathe. And I was like, the panic was overwhelming. And I was just staring at him, waiting for him to wake up. And the second he opened his eyes, it was like my brain like just went, oh, it's okay. And I just went, shoof, and I fainted. And I woke up, <laughs> lay on these seats with an oxygen mask on and all these cabin crew around me and everyone was <laughs> staring at me. And I was like, oh my God, what happened? But that was really hard because then that kept happening. But apart from that, I did love being pregnant. And that was simply because of your iron? Yeah, you can't catch your breath, you can't breathe. And then I just went down and it was fine. It's always fine. And it takes weeks for your iron levels to pick back up as well. And I was so close to labour at that point where they drop again. Yeah, It felt like I was really racing to get my iron levels back up. But then um, I did. And so actually they didn't drop for me postnatally. I stayed nice and level. Well, that's good. But yeah. it was around the same time that your mood sort of dipped as well. You were mm-hmm. saying, yeah. yeah, yeah. My third trimester was really tough, psychologically really tough. I think... Also, because James is a DJ now and he's a very successful DJ now. This real success started last summer when I was pregnant in my third trimester. Bodhi was born in August. Started in my third trimester. And everyone knows who knows anything about DJing knows the summer month is where you travel. Travel, 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 travel. And you clean up and you make a lot of money, right? That started for the first time ever in my relationship with James when I was pregnant with my first child in my third trimester with childbirth approaching. And it panicked me. And to be honest, it was the same this summer, having a little baby, being left on my own every weekend. And he comes back in the week. So like typically Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, he's at home, which is great. But the rest of the week, he's off DJing. And the show documents this, like at the beginning. And I feel a bit anxious about it, but it's my reality. And it's a reality show. So you got to get on with it. But the first, I would say, June and July, when we were filming that whole period, was really hard for me and really hard on our relationship. And then we kind of had like a period of adaptation in July, August, and then we kind of find a nice groove and that's really nice. But it was tough, yeah. And my third trimester was when it really hit and it was, yeah, put the cat amongst the pigeons a bit in my head. Well, especially if you've always been able to travel together or to be part of things together, all of a sudden there is that, oh, hold on, our responsibilities are changing, you know, mm-hmm. and, and actually you're not just going to be able to go off and do that the whole time you know yeah I can definitely relate to that you're the first person actually who's ever said that in response but you suddenly realize that your responsibilities change and now yours is with the child and the person who you always had these adventures with is now doing it on his own it is really overwhelming and and you're the only person who's ever put it in that through that lens and I think that's a huge part of it yeah And I think for any couple, you know, largely mums would be staying at home, you know, even in like a traditional setup. I think after a paternity leave ends and that person goes back to doing their nine Mm -hmm. to five, say, and they're not there Mm. from seven o'clock in the morning till seven o'clock at night, you know, Mm -hmm. that's a massive shift. That person's going out, they're speaking to adults, they're living a lovely life where they get to have a a hot cup of tea or maybe a cocktail in James's case, you know, and there does feel like it's a very big, like there's a massive difference between what both of you are living through. Yeah, yeah, it's so true. It's applicable to so many, like you say, mostly women, not all, but mostly Mm. women. It's applicable to so many women who become new mothers. And I think definitely a big hurdle people say it's really hard in the first year and you know it's really hard on a marriage and and you're right it's because typically the life of the mother changes a hundred percent your whole life changes and the life of the father changes at most 50 percent. but they retain that life that the woman loses and it is very hard I mean I wasn't resentful I preferred my new life I do prefer my new life to his but it's hard when I'm no longer having those experiences with him do you know what I mean It's been interesting. Yeah. How did you feel heading towards the birth? Did you have any, like, grand plans of what you actually wanted? Oh, come on, we all... Those who don't have an elected C-section... I know, but it's a question! (laughs) I was going to be like, I guarantee you, right, those people who don't have an elective C-section all want the same bath. They want water bath with gas and air, if and only absolutely no epidural and they literally just want to like breathe the baby out and I feel like I know one person in my whole life who that happened for which is my sister-in-law that's literally what happened she went into labor got in the pool like paddled around for a bit got out of the pool squatted down and her baby just fell out of her <laughs> and I'm like I don't know anyone else that's ever happened to that you can tell me your birth stories in a minute I obviously was a week overdue absolutely refused to be induced which in hindsight and now I know the statistics was absolutely stupid of me um but I was on day six and they were like we're going to induce you tomorrow day seven if you're still overdue 
Um, I was like, oh, and then my waters broke in the night and I was like, oh my God, I knew it. I knew it. I knew I just had to be patient. And I also just love the fact that I know what it feels like to have your waters break. Cause I was really, I know for so many women, it doesn't happen. And I was so excited about it. But I was waiting for like a Niagara Falls kind of gush. And now I spend the whole time going, is it? Is that, is that it? <laughs> but you know, like it doesn't stop until after you give birth, which I didn't realise. So I was like, oh, there we go, that's it. And then I was like, five hours later, like, why am I still leaking? Dripping everywhere. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I loved it. And then I was really excited about having a natural childbirth, by the way. I, I was a bit scared of it, obviously. But I was excited because, again, I work in the body and I wanted the experience. I just mm -hmm. wanted to... And I'm an experienced girl. Anything I haven't done before, I'm like, I want to know what that's like. I mean, I got my water breaking, but that's pretty much all I got, real natural childbirth. 24 hours later, no contractions, nothing. So they had to induce me. They gave me the hormonal drip. And because of the nature of the hormonal drip, basically you don't get a break between the contractions. So it's basically a very stupid idea not to have the epidural. So oh, had the induction, had the epidural, and I just kept being like, as long as it doesn't result in a C-section, it's fine. Why do you think that was in your head about not having a C-section? I think a few things. I didn't want to have major abdominal surgery, yep. period. Also, you are very subtly encouraged, you know, by your hypnobirth birther, if you went to see a hypnobirther, but even your antenatal person, and everyone I know says the same thing, even if it's very subtle and they're like, look, if you need a C-section, you need a C-section. It's still really heavily laced with don't let anyone push you into doing anything that you don't want. And I didn't want a C-section because I didn't want heavy abdominal surgery, yeah. especially with what I do for a living. I think people hear that and they hear aesthetics. Physically, it changes your whole core, but mm -hmm. then so it's pregnancy. So it's kind of too late for that. Anyway, obviously, no, the baby wasn't coming. And then my obstetrician told me that she was going to have to go in and give me an emergency C-section, category two. She said she wanted to get her out in 20 minutes. So it had to be now. So I was like, okay, that's quite serious. And I cried the whole way through the operation. I was livid. I'm very lucky that I lived my trauma then and there in the moment. And then she opened me up and she said, okay, the reason she wasn't coming out vaginally is because she was completely tangled up in the umbilical cord and it was never going to happen. And her heart rate kept dropping. Yeah. And that had a lot to do with it as well. And the induction, it was an amalgamation of things. And as soon as she explained the why to me, I was thrilled that my baby was out and she was safe. And then she picked her up and she showed it to me. I've got the photo and she showed it to me. And I just saw this big, beautiful baby. And I was like, she's mine. And I get to take her home. And I can't believe people only ever do this once. And those were all the thoughts <laughs> that went through my head. That was it. <laughs> can you remember holding it for the first time? I can, and I didn't like it because I didn't know this before. When you have a C-section, I'm not entirely sure why. Maybe it's to keep blood going to the head. I don't know. Like a slight decline. And so you're like this. So I was kind of like this. And it's not It's not pleasant. Like yeah. you get a bit of a headache and it's pretty uncomfortable. And I had the baby on me and I couldn't really. So I was just like, I don't want this to be my first moment with her. I was like, James, take her. So James had her for the first, I would say, 20 minutes of her life. She had skin on skin. or No, 45 minutes, I say, skin on skin. Shazia, my obstetrician, stitched me up as soon as I got back into the hospital bed they gave her to me and then I just had her actually I was really happy in the end that I had a c-section because I stayed in the hospital for two days the midwives taught me everything I needed to know I had all the help I needed and I yeah it was great in the end hey it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith co-star of my upcoming film if only in theaters May 17th do you want to tell people the big news all right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. 
How did it feel for you, you know, after Bodie arrived, even being in hospital, because you hadn't in your head planned to have that C-section, so you wouldn't have had anything with you in terms of, like, making life easier for yourself and any of that, or prepped mentally for, you know, not being able to move around and things? So the only thing that I, because I took my hospital bag in anyway, as soon as I knew I was being induced, and I Mm. knew that they didn't know how long it would take, I took my hospital bag. The only thing I didn't have with me was, like, you know, you get your um, postnatal pants. Yeah. You have specific C-section ones that are high-waisted, obviously, which I feel like all women would rather have at that point anyway because you still have your belly, but anyway. (laughs) And mine were, like not for us, they're for natural birth. And so all my pants like digging on my scar and you have to have the pad. And that was the only thing that was like actually practically and also when you're in pain, quite emotionally, like, yeah, hard. But I really, I know it sounds awful and not all women have this experience, but I'm also a big believer like in today's day and age, I think women are praised a lot for sharing their bad experiences. So much so that nobody wants to share their good experiences because they're scared that people are like, well, it's not like that for everyone. And it's like, well, I know, but that's my experience. Yeah. I'm not going to lie to you. Like it was a massive, massive wave of love that just, I wouldn't even say wave. It was just like a bubble. It just went shoo. And I was on cloud nine. I just was on cloud... And I never felt anything like it. There was a horrible moment in the night where I got up to go to the toilet. I just couldn't walk. It was so painful. Like, it was so painful. And like I say, the C-section scar. But in terms of, like, post-birth trauma, I didn't have any. I just... I didn't. So, yeah, I was lucky, but that was my experience. Do you think a large part of that is simply the fact that your doctor explained why you needed that? emergency C-section. Absolutely. I think the why in my industry with what I do for a living is the most overlooked. And again, especially on social media, you know, in terms of childbirth as well, it's like a homing beacon of reason in your head. And so if you have that, like a magnet right there, all of your thoughts and feelings and emotions can just kind of come together and sit together in this one cohesive understanding of the situation. I completely agree with you. As soon as she said to me, she was never going to come out vaginally. She's completely tangled up in the umbilical cord. Like, she was all over her, like all around her torso. I was like, okay, it's fine then. Because otherwise the alternative would have been what? Her heart would have stopped beating and I would have lost my baby. And I was like, okay, fine. And I think you're completely right. The women I know who do have post-birth trauma either one explained to on the way or one explained to after. And that creates this kind of, void in your head of there's no reason why this happened to me and I can't get to grips with it um so I do think that's really important yeah how did it feel leaving the hospital oh stressful (laughs) sounds like you had such a nice time there (laughs) (laughs) I wanted to say stressful because the paparazzi for a day thought I was like Kim Kardashian I was like do you think I'm Kim Kardashian like why are you here like this like, come on now. Like, we're kind of moderately in the public eye. Like, we are not that famous to have bad rights. So that was really, really stressful because she just gave birth. Like, I don't know how Kate yeah. Middleton did it. Like, who wants to go stand outside and be photographed after they've given birth? It was really stressful. It was really annoying and it was a heat wave and all I had on me was, like, baggy pants and <laughs> tube socks and... And so that was very hot and sweaty and stressful trying to get out the door into the car. But um, coming home with Bodhi was wonderful because we were living with my parents at the time. I was terrified it was going to be way too stressful, but I loved it. It was such a touch. It was the best way to start the first four months of her life. Well, so my sister actually stayed with us for the first four months of her daughter's life, which I, love I absolutely that. loved. But with you being with your mum and dad, it's that you're their baby to look I after know. as well. And there's so I, I saw an amazing video actually on Instagram the other day. It's a woman in bed after giving birth and there's loads of people passing around the newborn and kissing the newborn. And the uh, caption, the writing that goes on top of it is something like, everyone's come to see the baby, but he's come to see his. And she just pans to her dad who's next to her and just holding her hand while everyone else passes over the baby. And I'm just like, oh my God. (laughs) Don't that make you want to cry? I'm very emotional today. (laughs) Oh, yours is so true. I think, you know what, actually... Someone said something to me and it proved to be extremely true in the weeks after having a baby. Take the mum food. Take her food. I don't care if even if she's like, no, now it's time to get my pre-baby body back. Fuck it. Take a donut. Because you cannot, the last thing you can even think to do is get up 
get food, go to the shop, cook food, like absolutely not. So I would say do that. They get enough, you know, baby grow bouquets. I mean, I got like seven. (laughs) (laughs) And it was a heat wave. She couldn't wear anything but a nappy. And I was like, I don't know what to do with all of these. I need some food. (laughs) Oh, gosh. But you were with your mum and dad for four months. That's a lovely chunk of time. So by the time you actually moved out, you know what you're doing. Yeah, I think the biggest benefit, everyone's like, oh, that's really nice. You had help. I was like, not really. She's a newborn. Like, it's nice to have be like, can you watch the baby? But with a newborn, you can kind of just take them into the bathroom in their docketole, what used to be called a sleepyhead, and have a shower and watch them. Like, I actually found the newborn phase really easy. Yeah, really. It's that, like, yeah, that middle ground I found hard, like, right when they're kind of ready to sleep in their own room and kind of ready to be weaned, but they're just not really quite there yet, like, month four and five. Yeah. Those are my really, really hard months where I kind of lost the plot a bit. But the great thing about having mum and dad was for my mental health every day, every single day, 10 times a day, if not 100 times, my mum would be like, oh, my God, you're so good at this. You're such a natural look at you. And when somebody is giving you affirmations like that all day, every day, with something you've never done before and is very alien to you, you believe it. Like, you just start believing it. Like, if you tell yourself you're ugly every day, you've got a very small amount of time before you really believe that about yourself. To hear someone tell you that you're doing an amazing job and you're such a natural, it just, yeah, I think it's part of the reason why I had such a lovely postnatal experience with my baby and I didn't really have any any kind of big meltdowns or freakouts or anything. Like I said, month four and five were very hard for me. I was very sleep deprived and absolutely kind of <laughs> ready for a break, which obviously you don't get. Um, but I had a wonderful newborn experience. I hope I get to do it all again. I don't know, I'm 36 now, so I'm like, I hope. Fingers crossed. Also, at 36, I think you're fine to have more babies. I know people that are far older. Who's your youngest? What's his name? Max, he is five. I am 38, so I had him at 33. But Emma Willis had her youngest at 40. That's true. I did know that as well. And my mum had me at 40. Yeah. I'm hoping. But I just, I'm not ready to do it yet. So I'm like, oh, God, I better get going if I want another one. And then I'm like, no, I don't want to have another one thing, yet. that's the thing, isn't it? Because you're like, the whole once you get to certain points. I can remember yeah. us being six months old, me being like, oh, oh, my God, like, people would have had babies at this... Like, we know people who had this age gap, you know, and just like, yeah. whoa. Yeah. You'd have to go Irish now. Twins. Yes. One of my best friends has a, a little boy... The week that he turned one, she had her twins. Yeah. So she had three under, basically under one. <laughs> like, God. Terrific. Oh, my God. <laughs> I know. Yeah. I mean, you know, these things happen. <laughs> <laughs> Oops. Oops. Now we have three. <laughs> Going from one to three is like, that's quite, that's quite a jump. Within a year. Um, You did breastfeed, didn't you? Mm-hmm. What was your journey like with that? Something which I don't love to talk about because I think people get really upset about it. I was completely ready and willing to accept that my breastfeeding journey was start and end very quickly because for everybody but one of my friends, that's what happened. Yeah, They just found it really hard, really painful. Not enough milk came in. I was extremely lucky. Combi fed Bodhi from the beginning. I always gave her bottle or formula in the evenings and at night and then fed in the mornings and yeah. throughout the day. And my milk came in on day three. A lot of milk came in, especially in my right boob. This one was packing like, I don't even know how much, a lot. And this one was packing like 90 milliliters if I was lucky. But this one would be enough to even feed her milk now. But I stopped, obviously. And I loved it. I found it really easy. I had no issues getting my boob out in public and feeding her. Obviously, anyone who follows me on Instagram would be like, shock. (laughs) (laughs) Don't don't care. Absolutely. I'm not remotely like insecure or like squeamish or weird about the body. I see the body as like, like I say, science, fascinating. So I posted a photo the other day and everyone was like, wow. Why? Why do you need to post this? And I was like, I don't care that you're offended by skin. Like, it's not my problem. Anyway, yeah. back to my breastfeeding thing. So I would just get my boob out all over the place. Like, fed her, loved it. And then at six months, she started to get teeth. And I was like, no, absolutely. <laughs> on a plane, on a plane on the way back from Miami. And she bit my nipple. She just went, hum. And I was like, oh. And I was like, that's it. No more. And I just stopped immediately. <laughs> immediately immediately I was like nope not doing this again and I thought it was going to be like a whole thing where I'd have to do loads of pumping and like yeah. loads of massaging it wasn't I kind of pumped them as little as I you know when I only absolutely had to just to get some relief 
and then tried not to the rest of the time. Really, it was only really bad in the morning. And I'd wake up in the pain and there'd be milk everywhere. Yeah. But apart from that, I just kind of really, it's quite common sense, I think, just really easily kind of just came away from it. And um, she still, though, this morning, she latched onto my boob. I walk around Did my she? house naked. <laughs> yeah. I walk, and she's got loads of teeth now. And I walk around my house naked and I was doing something on the countertop and it just plonked her down in front of me. And she just went, oh. And I was like, no. I was like, absolutely not. Get off It's me. so funny, though, but she's still got the memory of that's what we used to do with those. Oh, if she sees my nipple, she's like this. It literally, like, runs into me. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Actually, because she's got... So she's still teething really badly now. And I'm just like, this is not going to be fun for me. Oh, that was always my big thing. Is my initial plan was to go to six months or until they had teeth. And then it took so long for us actually to get into a rhythm with it. Uh, Buzz and Buddy never bit me, but the third, he used to have a little, uh, he used to be like, ah, 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 <laughs> that horrible pain. And it's also like the fear, the anticipation of it. Like it's not fun. You're like no. this, you're completely tensed up. Like, oh my God, it goes from being really nice and sweet to, yeah, awful. But I'm really lucky. I would say I'm one of now three. People I know and like all my friends have kids now and I reckon I'm one of three who had successive breastfeeding. So I just want to say that if you don't, that's absolutely fine. And like I say, Bodhi had a bottle as well from the beginning and I would have been fine. I'm yeah. happy I had the experience. I wouldn't have been heartbroken if I had to stop breastfeeding. No. I don't think. I mean, I don't know. People probably listening are like, well, easy for you to say you never had to. And that's a completely fair argument. But I was always happy to give her a bottle in, in a way happier because I knew that she'd get fuller quicker yeah. and sleep better. I think it's such a shame that so many of us now feel like we have to caveat everything that we say to make sure that we're being inclusive and making sure that people don't worry about. Mm. I do feel like that's one thing about this podcast is that we kind of want to go, look, whatever works for you, great. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm. But let's just share our experiences and do that freely without feeling like we're going to offend someone. I know. Yeah. I imagine that because of what you do and you would have helped so many women postnatally before in your work, were you quite fascinated and excited to be starting your own postpartum journey. Yeah, definitely. As soon as I got pregnant, I started my pre and postnatal qualifications because I was really excited that something that I was really actively going through, I could go through with my clients and coach them at the same time. I felt like I would be a step ahead of my game and then I would also be able to help my clients. And I was really excited. I was nervous about the C-section because that's eight layers of tissue and that takes, you know, up to a year for every single layer to fully heal. I was nervous that I had this new element of it. You know, everyone talks about like the C-section pouch and the C-section overhang. So I was just really proactive about it. I started seeing a woman's health physio in my third trimester. And then two weeks postnatally, I went in and started having scar treatment done, which got progressively more and more kind of aggressive, I would say, to stop that from happening. And that was wonderful. And I was just really on top of getting my physio nailed, my pelvic floor my core strengthening back and I couldn't even engage my core for like weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks having Bodhi and doing what I do for a living that was quite terrifying I couldn't do this automatic thing this central nervous system thing that I'd always been able to do was so out of reach and I would cry because it was so frustrating and strange that all of a sudden I couldn't do this thing anymore I reckon I was 16 weeks postnatal until my physio told me that I could lift weights again um proper weights not baby weights it was the best and then I would say the next four months was very much like okay I'm gonna how am I gonna get to the gym because with a baby that's like not easy how am I going to get to the gym and then from there it was like when that ball was rolling because motivation breeds motivation and people were always like, how do I get motivated to go to the gym? It's like, you start going and then the ball is rolling. And then it, from there, I was like, okay, now I, I feel like I can sort my diet out. Whereas before I was like, fuck that, like I just had a baby. Like, I do not care about my diet right now. And then I started to sort my diet out. And then I would say eight or nine months postpartum, I was amazed actually at how my body had gone back to where it was. But that's because, and again, I don't want people listening to be like, well, it's because I put in the work in terms of the knowledge of what was happening to my body and what I needed to do after. And I put in the work in terms of my physio and I put in the work in terms of progressively grading my training. And then I put in the work, read my dietary intake again. I think I wanted to prove to myself that I could get back to kind of a physique look, which is my look. And now I've actually kind of, I don't look like that at the moment, I'm not particularly lean. I'm sitting about four kgs heavier than that. But I think I just needed to prove to myself that I could still do it. 
I love that. And has it informed your work with your clients in terms of, you know, having had that experience now yourself as well, it's got to have an impact. Oh, yeah. I mean, I would say more often than not, women are chomping at the bit. I mean, they've had a baby two weeks ago and they're like, hey, I'm ready to get on the exercise bike. And I'm like, no, you are not ready to get on the exercise bike. Like, oh, I went for a great run today. And I'm like, no, <laughs> you should not. Or like I had one of my postnatal clients recently say to me that she wants to book a photo shoot. And she's like four weeks postnatal. I was like, and she's a real physique client. And I was like, no, it is way too soon mentally, not even physically, mentally to even put a goal like that on yourself. You just had a baby. This is a big transition in your head. You know, you're so tired and kind of spun out. You can't even figure out what your priorities list is that day. Like you can't even put it together. So putting that big goal like that on yourself that early on is just a big mistake. So yeah, it's definitely really helped me. And then in terms of physicality, yeah, teaching clients how to engage their pelvic floor, how to engage their core, even if they're nowhere near postnatal or, or antenatal, every woman should be doing it. So it has been hugely helpful. I think it goes back to what we were saying before about how much your life changes as well. You know, so many of us just want to go back to what we were doing before, you know, back to let's find me, let's find me. Uh, and I know friends sort of who have that mentality with work as well and take on it before getting there kind of go nope that's fine four weeks later I'm gonna be back doing a show eee, are you though are you but you can't say that and actually I think it's only once people are there and in that place that maybe they'll view it a little bit differently because also we don't know what your recovery is going to be like until you're there you know you don't know how you're going to feel emotionally until you're there yeah it's really it's a difficult place to be I would say yeah, it is. And I learned, you know, firsthand, I did an interview about this. The press made it out to be this like ridiculous story that it wasn't. But, you know, I'm very financially independent. And I'm also very prideful, I think, in that sense, probably because of being my parents' daughter and the judgment that's gone along with that. I want to make my own money and I want to stand on my own two feet. And that includes in my marriage. So eight weeks postnatally, I was like, well, I haven't made any money in 16 weeks oh my God, what am I doing? There's no excuse for this. And I went back to work and, oh, in hindsight, how stupid that was. And that was eight weeks postnatally. And the thing is, I was lucky enough, I am lucky enough in that I could have just been like, no, I'm going to lean on my husband for a period of time and that's okay. And that was an option. And I wish I'd taken it. And I think it is that pride, whether it's pride in your body, pride in your work, pride in, I don't know, your sense of self. Like you do still have it postnatally, but you do actually lose the ability to pull it off <laughs> like you once did. It's actually, yeah, jumping the gun can actually be really, I think, damaging psychologically. I totally agree. And actually, I saw that when I was doing my deep dive research, but then I also saw your response to it and I felt it was so sad, actually, that you were actually raising a really important issue that so many women face, but that it had been turned into something completely different that then James got a load of abuse over. Yeah, but this is what happens when you do, like, print press, which I'm doing, obviously, at the moment for the show. Everything you say, they make you sound like a psycho, like a weirdo, and I hate it because they just make me look mental. I am slightly mental, but at least when we're doing it, like, in a podcast or on TV, you have all this context. It kind of makes sense. Like, even if, like, you know, you don't like someone, at least you can kind of understand what they're saying. Whereas, like, in print media, it's just awful. And I read that back and I was like, here we go. And both James and I just got flooded with messages. And I was like, oh, for God's sake, it's just so annoying. I agree. Uh, so if you could write a letter on motherhood, who would it be to and what would you say? If I could write a letter on motherhood, who would it be to and what would it say? It would be to Bodie, obviously, because, you know, once you have a baby, you just go into this very strange, morbid, what if I die mindset maybe that's just me but I think about my own mortality every day now and I just want her to know how much I love her and how much she's changed my life and I would also like to leave with the letter a mixtape of all the songs that I listen to that make me think of her which are all over my Instagram page my Instagram page is just basically a mixtape dedication to Bodhi I absolutely love this it's like every single thing that you post of her there is a new song it's a new song <laughs> So we finished the podcast with you completing three sentences. The first one is being a mum means. Everything to me, literally. I mean, I know that sounds like a really cliche sentence, but it is everything to me. It's my number one priority in life and the best thing I've ever done and will be the last thing I think about when I die. <laughs> 
there you go some mortality again <laughs> wasn't expecting that at all <laughs> mortality is definitely something that's really like have you always thought about it or is it literally since becoming a mum no since becoming a mum I think about it all the time like what if I die like, do you know what? I don't think it helped that my best friend said to me <laughs> a few weeks after she was born and don't worry about dying when she's this age because when she's this age she won't remember you I was like what a weird and awful thing to say to me but I realized in the context of her life she's got two seven-year-olds and I think what she meant was now I'm terrified that mm. if something happened to the dad and I they'd be aware of it but you're really lucky because your newborn won't remember you <laughs> it was so weird and left to field it just like, planted a seed in my head and it never went away <laughs> gotta love it when that little seed goes in it just starts planting a little tree so weird what a weird thing to say to someone (laughs) the next sentence is since having a child i have a whole new perspective on life it's exactly what you said before you can't imagine what it's going to be like when you're pregnant or before it's happened to you you have no idea until it's happened your whole perspective and your kind of kaleidoscope view of life just completely shifts and changes and that is like actually if you look through a kaleidoscope and then you change it to change the patterns and the colors that's what's happening Mm. and it's I suppose it's a different experience for everyone but for me personally it's been love is the only word for it it's just love it's just love in in in, in an experience and it's mind-blowing and then finally I'm happy when I'm happy when I walk into Bodhi's room in the morning and she looks up at me and she grins with all her stupid teeth and her stupid hair with her blonde spiky hair sticking up everywhere and she goes ah (laughs) and that is my happiest moment of the day from dawn to dusk. Chloe can I just say for someone who didn't even know if motherhood was for them you light up like I feel like motherhood has turned you into the Christmas tree that you were talking about like, you literally, and I know mums light up when they talk about their kids, but for all the years that I've been doing this, I don't think I've ever seen someone light up so much when they talk about their child and they talk about their role. So thank you so much. What a compliment. Thank you so much. That means the world to me. You can go to bed tonight going, Giovanna called me a Christmas tree. <laughs> I'm a Christmas tree, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> I loved it. Thank you so much. That was wonderful. I really enjoyed it. Thank you so, so much. It was a pure delight. Thank you. We have something very exciting to talk about today. Happy mum, happy baby. Well, we are expanding. We're only releasing our very first record. Yes, move over McFly, move over Tom Fletcher. It's all about Happy Mum, Happy Baby. We're going into music, people. We have teamed up with Decca Records and LifeScore to build a one-stop shop for quality, trustworthy educational music for baby, toddler and parent. Music is such a massive part of our family and I'm so thrilled with what we've created. I can't wait for you to hear it. Now, it's worth saying that all the sounds on the album, they are played by real instruments and they feature real nature sounds. There is nothing processed, it is all organic. And all of the music aims to be enjoyable listening experience for both the child and the parent. No plonky plonky piano, it's all just beautiful musicians with their instruments. Honestly, it's a joy to listen to. We all know the number one rule for getting your little one to sleep is to stick to a trusted routine and my hope with this album is that our creation can be a part of that make bedtime an easier transition for all the ultimate baby sleep album is here and it encompasses three parts of baby sleep and it runs in three sections wind down going to sleep and staying asleep running seamlessly from top to bottom for the ultimate baby sleep experience and each section lasts around 30 minutes so Let's delve into each section and tell you what they're about. The wind down is a perfect calming music for bath time and any other pre-bed activity. This encourages special bonding time between parent and baby to prepare for sleep. The melodies I've chosen to feature within the music have a very special place within my own experience of sleep routine. I loved singing little ditties or little lullabies and, and this, it's just got that lovely 
gentle, melodic feeling to it. The melodies can be easily hummed by parents to capture the bonding power of a parent's voice. And actually, as you listen to the music, you might even catch a few melodies of some traditional classics that would just, ah, oh, they just fill my heart with such love. The next section we have is called Going to Sleep. How we created this was so interesting and I absolutely loved the recording process to kind of really feel that breath actually of the musicians as they were playing. It also features natural sounds and it entwines the lullabies from the previous wind down to encourage baby to nod off at their own pace and in a relaxed state of mind. Those two sections, they kind of work together and they build. We've found that this is the ideal transition for baby to acknowledge that it is now time to go to sleep. And then the next section, the final section, is during sleep or staying asleep. I like to call it staying asleep because that's the dream, people. But it provides 30 minutes of natural and environmental white noise derived from nature sounds. And then actually this leads into an additional nine and a half hours of natural white noise for babies to prefer continuous white noise once asleep. No waking up in the middle of the night to press a little button on a sheep. Not anymore. There's been so much thought and love poured into these tracks. We've gone through so many different versions. I've pulled on the music that I love, that makes me feel nice and calm. And together with LifeScore and Decca Records, we've really created something that I feel is really magical. I've played it to my kids. They love it. I'm so thrilled. <laughs> Can you imagine they didn't? And actually, I have to say that even as an adult, sitting at my desk and listening to different versions, I have often fallen asleep in the best way, in a very contented way. Some might call it work, some might call it a nice little nap. Either way, I loved it and it was all because of this album. With 12 hours of continuous music to help your baby sleep through the night, we are so proud to introduce you to Happy Mum, Happy Baby, The Sleep Album. I can't wait for you to hear it and then for you to tell me how you're getting on. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.